This is Backchat on 94.5 FBI Radio and streaming on the internet also. You're listening to Backchat, of course. This is the freshest wrap of news and current affairs on the radio. I'm Ariel Bogle and my normal co-host Osman Fruki is out this week, but no matter because I've got a pretty dream team with me. That's Swetha Dust. Hey, Swetha. Hey, hey. And Madison Connaughton, how are you? I'm good. Apologies to all the bare necessities listeners I out know. there. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you, but you've actually got an hour of like hard-hitting current affairs ahead of you, so stick with us. Um, so we discussed a few weeks ago Peter Dutton doing something quite white, I suppose. He's very concerned about South African farmers out of nowhere. So there was a few News Corp articles about white South African farmers you know, being met with violence, being taken off their land. And Peter Dutton floated the idea of fast-tracking visas for these people. Uh, you know, people had some questions about this. Of course, Peter Dutton is not known for handing out visas right and left. He's a little strict on that with certain types of people. Uh, read people not white, is that fair <laughs> to say? But anyway, he's been on a bit of a rampage about it, and here he was this week. Uh, some of the, the crazy lefties at the ABC and on The Guardian, Huffington Post, uh, <laughs> can you know express concern and draw mean cartoons uh, about me and all the rest of it. They don't realise how, you know, how completely dead they are to me. Dead to me. <laughs> dead to him. What do you guys reckon? Oh, that man. seems kind of harsh, man. Like, The Guardian, the ABC, like... All those journeys are now dead to Peter Dutton. Oh, my God. Does he have a death note? And he just writes down names? <laughs> yeah, he keeps a list. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a burn book for sure. He's got a burn book. <laughs> I'm just so surprised that this is the thing that Peter Dutton has, like, finally pushed him over the edge with the media. Like, of all the issues that he's like, feels passionate about, this, like, white South African farmers is the one that he really feels the most deeply about. Yeah, I really want to know what the psychology behind that is. Totally. Yeah. You, must want, you want to peer down into Peter Dutton's brain? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get his therapist's number. <laughs> so, of course, like, I don't know how this visa thing is going to play out because Julie Bishop is not that into it and she is the foreign minister. And it has got them into a bit of hot water with the South African government who are pointing out, well, is there truly this um, total mission to get white farmers off their land? It's all a bit of an open question, but certainly News Corp and Peter Dutton are on it. If there's a white farmer anywhere in the world, they will know about it. But speaking of News Corp, Swetha, you've got a pretty interesting story, a bit of a clash of debating and gender politics. Oh, yeah. So affirmative action has been introduced into regulating who can enter into into certain debating tournaments, making rules for how many non-cis males can enter. The University of Sydney Debating Society also introduced their own rules, increasing the number of people who are culturally diverse or come from non-elite schools who can enter for their Australian championships. It's a chance to allow people who didn't come from elite private high schools to get a fair go to compete, as well as overcoming unconscious bias against women in debating. But, of course, people are unhappy. Erica Betts described it as Stalinist dogma. Wow. Yeah. How does Erica Betts know what's going down at Sydney Uni? Oh, everyone seems to know what's happening at UCID. Um, But the Daily Mail, this is the best part of the story. The Daily Mail reported on the story and the headline was, Sydney University's debating club proclaims that half of its tournament competitors must be transgender, male or females which is, I think, an incredible initiative organised by the Daily Mail, and I'd love to see half of those debating teams trans, but um, that's not the case. So do you think that this anger comes from people angry about 
the term non-cis males or are they angry about affirmative action policies? Yeah, I'm not too sure where it comes from. I guess the term non-cis males is probably a bit threatening to certain people. To cis males? Potentially <laughs> cis males. Um, but I, I don't know, like, the the idea that 50% of, of the teams that are being sent across to the World Debating Championships having to be non-cis males, that still leaves 50% of the team that can be cis males. And I don't know, just, like, they're not even in the minority yet. Like, <laughs> no. that, that being equal to everyone else... It ha- is a threatening position is really surprising. Totally, it's is it, it? Sorry, it's not surprising. I don't even know. Why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good initiative. Like I go to UCID, um, and I wanted to do debating, but I went to a public school where we didn't have that kind of culture of like very rigorous debating training. Um, I know, I remember in year 11, the teachers were like, we're not going to do debating anymore because we want you to focus on the HSE. And then I come to UCID and it's quite an, an intimidating environment. So I'm really glad that they're taking the initiative to include people from public schools and culturally diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great initiative. Definitely. What I find kind of interesting about this, and I don't know if this theory is correct, but I think the right here are trying to import some of the culture wars that are going down in the US and UK that are really centered on the university campus. So you don't have to go too far in the US press to find like columnists freaking out about like the end of free speech on campus when students protest against right-wing speakers coming to their campus, like Milo Yiannopoulos, for example. There was huge turnout and protests. Some might say almost riots against him on some, in some of the West Coast universities. And I don't know, I guess like the idea of being able to fight university campuses is like a really appealing um, campaign for the Liberal Party because it, you know, it, it just hits all the right spots. It's like greenies, it's lefties, it's students on campus wasting their time with useless topics like making sure d- debating teams are representative. Well, I was going to say on that there feels like there's some sort of a victim complex being created by the cis males that you said with like the college drama Mm. and now debating and like perhaps they're feeling like things are being taken away from them when maybe they should be. What's the college drama? Walk us through that. Oh, okay. So, uh, oh, it's a big story, but Nina Funnel has done some great stuff covering, I guess, like the hazing rituals and the terrible mistreatment of women at colleges. And so there's been a lot of debate around whether we should continue to have the college establishment on campus and whether it's a safe environment and whether, you know, there's institutional support for the people who are getting hurt at these colleges. And so I guess it's sort of the same demographic of, you know, white, straight, cis males causing these problems and whether we should critique them more. Um, But, you know, Erica Betts, Stalin's dogma, I don't know. But I think it is, like, very important to note that, like, you know, we talk about, like, why does Erica Betts know what's happening at Sydney University? Like, of course, Erica Betts knows what's happening at Sydney University. Like, universities are pipelines for people who end up being in very powerful positions. Right. Like, university debating teams, university mooting teams are, are pipelines to go into, like, great law firms, to yeah, go into political politics. staffing, yeah. political, like, uh, student politics, colleges totally right. are networking opportunities for people. So... These are really existential threats because they are challenging um, power structures, really. Like, this is a pipeline to get to powerful positions in 10, 20 years. And even though it seems kind of nerdy, like, 
diversifying the debating team means in 10, 20 years, those those powerful positions may not be held by cis white men. (laughs) (laughs) What a world. Absolutely. Well, as given you go to Sydney University, Svetha, what's it like on campus? Are these issues really hot button issues on campus or is this just a sort of frenzy that the media has got itself into? I think it is a huge issue. I think definitely um, you can see a divide between very left um, student politicians. And there, there was a fantastic panel that happened recently organised by Pulp Media, which is a senior university media outlet. And they had Nina Funnel and Elizabeth Broderick and stuff. And it was just so that like, was on the back of the Red Zone report coming out. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was fantastic. And people came and people are engaged in the conversation. Um, and I think that is, it's so important to have people finally addressing what's happening. Because I think the issues that are happening with um, not representing uh, non-cis males and, you know, the mistreatment of people at college, it's always occurred, but no one's talking about it. So finally, even if not many changes are happening, people are addressing it, there's discourse, um, and I don't think it's going to die down anytime soon. So I'd be remiss to end, uh, to do this show without mentioning that there's a man in town that we may all dr- think about in our dreams longingly, and that is one Mr. Barack Obama, former US president. Have we spotted him? Has anyone seen him in the flesh yet? No. I have not. I have like been looking on Instagram. Like I've just been looking at his tagged photos and hashtag Barack Obama. Because <laughs> that's the best way to find people because people will immediately put it up. Nothing. Where do you think he'd hang out? Well, you Where were saying, I think he might be into like outdoor activities, right? <laughs> you know, since he left the presidency, he's had a full lease on life, like hanging out with Richard Branson, windsurfing mm. in Caribbean islands. I'm sure we can get into some local water sport. Mm-hmm. I think Barack Obama is like the best barometer of like what is the best <laughs> tourist attraction in any city. Yes. Like you will always see him like doing the best thing, not like the most mainstream thing, but he's always like got the best, like whoever's organising his trip, his travel agent has his back, I would say. Definitely. <laughs> I reckon we're going to see him on one of those Darling Harbour speedboats. That'd be amazing. Do you reckon he'd climb the Harbour Bridge? Definitely. Oh, yes, that's it. He's isn't tired. It? He's had his, like, <laughs> let him sleep. Let him sleep. But also, you know, I think, like, leaving the presidency would give you a full burst of energy, to be honest. <laughs> True. So stick with us. We're just going to get into F- uh, Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. But first, we have Justine Sky with Wasteland. You're listening to Backchat on 94.5. That was Justine Sky with her new track, Wasteland. It's incorrect to call Cambridge Analytica a, a purely sort of data science company or an algorithm you know, company. You know, it is a full-service propaganda machine. If you can control all of the streams of information around your opponent, you can influence how they perceive that battle space, and you can then influence how they're going to behave and react. Oof, strong words from Christopher Wiley, the pink-haired, vegan Canadian uh, who has sort of caused a bit of a media storm uh, coming out last weekend as uh, a whistleblower against his former um, employer, Cambridge Analytica. Um, And Cambridge Analytica is a UK-based consulting firm, um, which was backed by Steve Bannon and um, also by billionaire donor Robert Mercer, whose name is coming up more and more in the media. Um, But Cambridge has actually been floating around for a while in the news, um, sort of since the US election, because the CEO of the company, um, Alexander Nix, was sort of boasting to anyone who would listen how the company 
company's psychographic targeting techniques um, with the thing that swayed the, the US election where Donald Trump ended up winning. Um, whether or not they whether or not they did has not sort of been established, but um, what has been established uh, this week is uh, I guess that Cambridge used Facebook data inappropriately to build these psychographic profiles of, of millions and millions of Americans, which were then set loose during the campaign. And the psychographic targeting um, could use sort of a number of indicators, you know, whether you liked Kim Kardashian on Facebook or whether you liked a certain um, fast food outlet. And it could build a profile of you which could predict a lot of things. Um, For example, uh, the best indicator of whether you were heterosexual apparently was if you liked the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, Not too sure what the the link is there. Um, But basically, Facebook users had been asked by a Cambridge researcher to do a psychology quiz um, where they sort of answered a bunch of questions and then gave the quiz access to all of their Facebook data. Uh, And this was how Cambridge Analytica ended up getting all of this data of millions of Americans. Um, the, The Facebook knew about this in 2015 and they actually told Cambridge Analytica to delete all the data of these millions and millions of users who'd done the psychology quiz um, but never did anything to follow up to find out whether they'd actually deleted it and then a few years later they were using it in the US election. Yeah it's been such an interesting story and for me who have been writing and reporting about technology for years now like it it's been amazing to see it blow up. I am really curious to chat to you guys about what you think is different this time because obviously Facebook's gotten in heaps of trouble for hundreds of different things before, but there does seem to be a change in sentiment towards the company. And also Mark Zuckerberg came out this week and gave what sort of critics have suggested as a kind of weak excuse for what happened. Here he is on CNN. So this was a major breach of trust, and, and I'm really sorry that this happened. Um, you know, we have a basic responsibility to protect people's data. And if we can't do that, then, then we don't uh, deserve to have the opportunity to serve people. Well, are you, are you satisfied with that apology, Swetha? What do you reckon? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, he probably has enough data on me to know what kind of apology I would like. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so that's surprising. I think, I think this is different. This is definitely different. I think we were discussing earlier that what is scary about this is that this came from a different agency. So it feels almost like Facebook has lost control Mm. over how they mine data. So it's no longer, we can't just point the finger distinctly at Facebook. We're like, you know, you don't even know who else is mining data and taking it. And it's pretty scary. It's a conduit for other people taking information. That's a really good point. And just to give a bit of a timeline here, I think it was back in 2010, Facebook built this platform to allow app developers, you know, quizzes, games, all those types of things to build on top of their platform. And then they had... extra permissions in there. So if you if I signed up with my Facebook profile to play a game, they could also pull in without the consent of my friends or my friends' profiles. So obviously this is quite questionable because there's no consent there, which is really integral part. Facebook, I guess, took four years maybe to realize this was a problem, shut down those extra permissions in about 2014. But there were a good four years there where just extremely huge data sets could have been pulled off Facebook. And as we can see now, Facebook didn't always audit what happened to that data. So Facebook has come out and you know said it was a betrayal of trust. 
by Alexander Kogan, who was the original researcher who created this psychology quiz that pulled off all these Facebook profiles, up to 50 million. But it was a breach of trust, perhaps, that it breached Facebook's terms and conditions. But was it surprising? Should it have been surprising to Facebook? I don't know. What do you guys reckon? Is it surprising to people anymore, do you think? I think we've known that big data was getting to this point for a long time. Like the idea of being able to build psychological profiles of people by mining heaps and heaps of their data is literally how the Facebook ad platform works. You can micro-target using Facebook ads. Like they knew that this was a way to target people, but this, again, as you said, is like an outside agency doing it. And I think that that feels like a violation, but we seem to have been conditioned to be okay with Facebook doing it and and making all of its money off doing that as well through ads. So we'd love to hear from you. Text in on 0409-945-945. I'm particularly curious if people are like legitimately going to delete Facebook over this. This hashtag has been trending, but you know things like delete Uber have trended before a few years ago and... I feel like Uber is sticking around. So are you guys, what do you think? Are you going to delete Facebook for the final time? It's it's nice to know that someone's interested in my life. <laughs> I will love Facebook. <laughs> I actually went so far the other way and I ended up doing the psychographic quiz. That, is, <laughs> that was my first reaction to hearing this story. I was like, I wonder which like psychology like profile I am. <laughs> and then I did it and then it asked me for my Facebook commissions and I was like, no. <laughs> Which one did you do? Did you do the Cambridge Psychology Unit one? Yeah, the one that came from, um, oh, what's his name, Kaczynski? Kaczynski, yeah. yeah. so the original, original one. Because mm. basically what happened, a Cambridge researcher created this um, psychological survey and then another researcher basically mirrored what he did and and sort of worked with Cambridge Analytica on it because they saw the potential in what he'd done, but uh, Kaczynski wouldn't work with them. Yeah, I did that quiz actually, and um, both on Facebook and Twitter, I was profiled as a man. So just putting it out there, that the, the levels of correctness are perhaps skewed. But I knew that um, actually on Twitter and Facebook, you can in your settings go and see what they think you are in terms of what your ad interests might be, what kind of demographics you belong to. And I think because I write and tweet about like tech and science stuff, they're like, oh yeah, definitely a man. <laughs> I'm always profiled as man. But never, oh, no. I, I'm kind of happy that they're not like that accurate. It's, mm. kind, it's slightly comforting. Yeah, I mean, that was something you mentioned before, that there isn't a lot of academic research to back up the idea that this psychographic psyops can actually influence people in elections. Um, but I guess more so, the the problem here is that all of these privacy um, cons- like concerns that people had and were sort of brushed aside, you know, Facebook is going to ca- take care of your data, like, that's really shown to, to be, like, wanting here. It's not working. It's, it's, it's really... Outside agencies are scraping data in huge amounts. And Cambridge is just one of them. Yeah, so I think we should chat about what's going on in Australia too because, you know, Facebook has not come out and said whether any Australians' data was caught up in this haul that was pulled off Facebook, but given it was about 50 million people, there's got to be, like, a couple of Aussies in there, surely. And that couldn't be of interest to regulators here. So... The Office of the Privacy Commissioner here has confirmed that they are, you know, quote unquote, asking questions of Facebook. And it'll be really interesting to see whether they open up a proper investigation, because that could answer a lot of questions. But Facebook's also uh, facing an inquiry from the ACCC, the consumer regulator here. And this preceded the Cambridge Analytica stuff. But people are interested in 
just how our data is being used. And Facebook has just an amazing monopoly over our data. I think there's some estimates that Google and Facebook, their ad platforms, make 75% of every new dollar spent on digital advertising, which is just a massive, massive amount. So these companies are hugely powerful. And, you know, our data is like the oil of the internet. You know, it is the key sort of valuable product being created on the internet. So I guess we deserve in Australia some power over and some say over what's being done with it. Data is the new commodity. And... It is so important in a rich democracy that we are aware of how our data is being mined and how it's being used. And I don't think there's enough of a discussion around, particularly during our campaign um, election periods, how are the major parties using our data? So I don't think many people know, but the major parties actually outsource to third parties to um, be able to target their campaign materials and they have highly developed databases to track voting preferences. So you have these beautiful giant databases like Feedback and Electrack that the Liberals and uh, the Labour Party use. Um, And then you also are able to buy data from online websites. And you combine this and you have huge monopolies over the minority and independent parties, which is kind of scary and I think a huge obstruction of democracy. Yeah, that's right. And also one point of interest that came up this week is that our political parties are exempt from a lot of the Privacy Act. So other companies, Facebook included, when they use our data, they're meant to get consent for that. They're meant to only use it for the purpose for which it was collected. But our political parties, they get a free pass, which is a bit nerve-wracking, I would say. (laughs) big time. Something that is interesting is if you do want to check whether you got caught up in the Cambridge Analytica hack scrape, whatever (laughs) word you want to use. But if you want to find out if you're in their database, um, you can go to personaldata.io, which is a program set up by um, a mathematician named uh, Paul Olivier de Hay. um, And he is helping people who might have got caught up go through the very circuitous process of trying to get Cambridge Analytica to tell you whether or not you're in their database. Um, it's taken many of them months and months and months, but if you want to be the Australian who goes out there and checks whether there aren't any Australians in the database, personaldata.io could be a good place to start. Awesome. I'm definitely going to be doing that straight after this. <laughs> but first we have roulette. Well, it's that moment of the day where we just talk about the cool content we consume this week, basically. What have you got, Swetha? So I'm obsessed with this Netflix show called Terrace House. So basically, it's Japanese Big Brother. I'm so excited. Yes, get excited. (laughs) Japanese Big Brother, but there are no games and they're allowed to leave the house. (laughs) So they all have jobs and they all just do things and they have their phones and they can access social media. Um, But they live in a house together, and I think that is the same as Big Brother. Um, It is incredible. And I don't know if you've seen Unreal or those kind of shows where they talk about reality TV in America, but it's, you know, you have kind of like psychopathic producers getting girls drunk and, you know, getting girls who 
um, who they can really like trigger on camera. Whereas this show is just, it's kind of like the GAN. It's just, <laughs> it's just like soothing. It's really slow TV. Everyone's just really nice. Um, they, it's like a mukbang. They all just eat food and I just watch and I eat my dinner with them. It's really nice. <laughs> it's just young, attractive Japanese people being nice to each other. It's lovely. Like them, and they all, they're not there to become dealer celebrities. They're all there to just, you know, be empowered. They come on and they're like, you know, I want to be an Olympic athlete. And they're like, that's really nice. I want to be a tap dancer. And they're like, that's nice. And they just sit together holding hands and drinking uh, sake. <laughs> I just want to interject, though, because the episodes I saw, they definitely still, like, hook up. Oh, yeah. But it takes, like, <laughs> 40 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. And they're sober. How about you, mate? Yeah, my one is maybe it's not like an underappreciated thing of the week because I think a lot of people have already heard it, but it's the episode of This American Life called Five Women. Um, basically, This American Life um, producer Hannah Joffe Walt went out and found five women who were connected um, to this guy who used to be the editor of an online site called Alternet, uh, which was kind of like a progressive, like alternative um, news site that was really big in the mid 2000s. Um, and, yeah, it's just this fascinating portrait of these women's interactions with him, but also their interactions with men throughout their life that had shaped um, the way they thought about their power in relationships and in business and in their careers. And, you know, it is, you know, we talk about conditioning women to, to feel like they, um, you know, can be treated certain certain ways by men and, and the patriarchy. And this was a really sort of harrowing portrait of that. And, yeah, it's really worth a listen if you have an hour of your day. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> going to check that out. That sounds really great. So I'm just going to shout out the fact that Elon Musk deleted his Facebook page in a sort of active anti-Facebook propaganda, but he's still on Instagram. And, guys, this is my public service announcement. <laughs> Facebook owns Instagram and they own WhatsApp. So if you're using those products... You are not boycotting Facebook. Just please take note. I think people, a lot of people are confused about that. That's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for joining me, Maddie and Swetha. And I also need to thank our producers, Amelia Zhao and Natalie Sevaloska. And to leave you, we're going to give you Star Child and the New Romantic with Doubt.